Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Disc Golf Management. I'm Bobby Cool, Daddy Slick Breeze. I have with me Eric Oakley and Robert Hi. McCall. Hello. We are here for May 16th episode. Um, if you watch us on YouTube, make sure you are aware of the new time. Um, it is at 5 p.m. Central. Um, join us if you can live. Have dinner with Degam, as Chaser90EK says. Dinner with Degam. Mm-hmm. All right, so how about do you guys have a pretty good weekend? I did. Uh, yeah, Eric, you can talk about yours. I'll talk about mine after. Uh, I mean, I just finished up quarantining and finally had my negative test as of yesterday. So nice. I get to I get to get back into playing touring disc golf. So that's nice. Which also meant I got to play in the Polecat World Championships, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um yeah. uh, after we continue to see what everybody else did. So I was only able to like go to I went to this really small tiny little six hole course just as a like, all right, cool. I just want to go do some putting on my first day back. And then I went to Brengle Terrace, uh, which is a course in Oceanside or I think it's in Vista or it's in San Marcos uh, either way in that area near goat Hill. And I just had to go play. It was like, and I played solo and made sure I was, you know, not going anywhere near anybody, but I just needed to play disc golf. And so it was good. I was throwing the disc better than I expected after not playing for five days because of uh, having COVID. So I am excited to be back. Things are good. It's that's why it's uh, yeah. because I'm still like I had to miss out on Masters Cup, which sucks. <laughs> so yeah, that's rough. And I missed two of my favorite um, tournaments. I didn't realize that until I was in like the deep stage of realizing that Masters Cup was probably not going to happen. That I said, "Oh, cool! I drove 22 hours as fast as I could to play my one of my favorite courses, and then I had to drop out of that tournament. And then, oh, what was after that? Ooh, cool! One of my other favorite tournaments and courses to play." And they're playing the golf course that I've played really well at. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yep. So right. that was something that happened. But what about you? Good. I'm over? good. Um, Shay and I went up to Temple to play a little pickleball tournament. We got we got second. Um, we had a nice. had a really good shot at beating the team that won. Yeah. Um we we went to three games with them. And it was just like we were talking about before the show, Bobby, like we got we lost the first one in a pretty close game because we were kind of attacking early and getting a little anxious. Second game, we slowed down and just like just made them play slow and they made all the mistakes and we won like 11 five. So we were cruising. We were ready to go. And we started the first game up four zero. Then they get, they brought it back to four four. Then we got up eight four. They brought it back to eight eight, mm. and so we were like, "Okay, let's let's press, let's get the ball back, run off three quick points, and we'll be done." And when we pressed, I mean, we didn't say that out loud, but you could tell like that's kind of where our heads were at. Yeah. When we started to press, we just made three mistakes back to back to back, and those were three points, and the game was over. So we're ah. like, oh, tight, 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 tight. Um, but we're playing another one together in um, in Kansas in a few weeks. Nice. So how many? How many the, Roberts were there throughout the tournament? Uh, not many. That not many this time. I was I was a pretty nice partner this time. Uh, yeah, dude. Okay, if you're not familiar with pickleball, there's a shot in pickleball called an Ernie, in which one of the players jumps over the kitchen 
and hits the ball out of the air. Cause like you can't hit the ball out of the air while standing in the kitchen. Right. But you can get it as long as you jump over the kitchen to do it. Freaking Shea did that five times in this tournament. And three of them were just out and out winners, like one shot winners. Um, one of them was they got one shot back and then I just put it away immediately. And then one of them, we just like continue the point. But it was sick. She was just jumping and just oh, just slamming it on. Him. It was pretty sick. She's a baller. Nice. So, yeah, she, is she ain't playing around. Dude. Yeah, she, she ain't playing. She was really sad when we finished because like when we made those three errors, two, two of them were hers. One of them was mine. But like both of both of us made mistakes. But she was just like really apologetic. And I was like, dude, we had a freaking blast. And also you earned them so many times and it was sick. <laughs> That's so, cool. That's we, cool. We had a good time. It was really fun. Nice. Well, my weekend is spent in back in Disc Golf Mecca, or some people like to call it Emporia. So I went back to Emporia to check on the house and did a little house maintenance. And just for a little plug on the house, if you're looking to play some disc golf in Emporia or just visit Emporia, you now can sleep up to six people in my Airbnb. Wow. I took the third bedroom and changed it from an office to and added a twin size. Or no, I'm sorry a full-size bed, so two people can sleep there, so no. So if you're looking to make a vacation out of uh, this summer and you want to go to Emporia, check it out on Airbnb. You can go to my Instagram, Uncle Bobby Jr., and uh, go to the link in bio. Uh, This episode brought to you by Bobby's Airbnb in Emporia. (laughs) (laughs) So so I actually have something to say on the Disc Golf Mecca thing. (laughs) <laughs> like I want to debate that just my, mildly is because no, it's it, not mild. It, it, it is a prominent place for disc golf, but if we actually look at it, I don't think you could say any one of those courses is one of the best courses in the country. I guess, and, you, I guess you'd, my thing would be, then we have to define what Mecca means. Mecca means it's like, it has everything. I think that's the one thing it's missing is it doesn't have that true. It doesn't have uh, uh, Maple Hill. It doesn't have Milo McIver. It doesn't have that level of a course. Now, there aren't many other cities that are that behind disc golf. So, So, so the reason let me let me I'll give you the reason I call it Mecca. And the way okay. reason we called it Mecca. Uh, for one, it was great for marketing to call it the Disc Golf Mecca mm-hmm. to have you come out yes. and, and do things. Very smart. Um, but the meaning of Mecca is a place regarded as a center for a specific group activity or interest. And so Whoa. to me, to call it a Disc Golf Mecca and, to, and because of Emporia being such a small town with within 20 minutes, you have, what, 11 to 12 courses. And so if you were, yeah. to, if you were to spend a three-day weekend in Emporia and all you wanted to do was disc golf, you could be playing all kinds of different courses. Um, yeah. But I get what you're saying. I, yeah. There's, there's not, there's not the allure of a, a Maple Hill or something like that. And, or, or, yeah. or some of the other, I would, I would places. give the crown to like, a, but it's hard because it's when you're in Emporia, everybody knows about disc golf. Right. And that's, if what, you that's, go to a right. place like Charlotte or Minnesota that might have these that have, when you look at their U-Disc map, it's kind of insane. Like you can play a lot of different courses. Like those would be the other two that I would classify potentially as meccas. Uh, but 
you're not going to be able to go into a grocery store and be like, yeah, I'm here to play disc golf. And people are like, what's disc golf? Right. Or if you go into Emporia and you mention the words disc golf, everybody knows. Right. So there's, right. there is that, that, yeah. that, that switch. Right. So that's why I would say it's like, ah, I don't, it's like, it's like the disc, it's a disc golf city, but it's the disc, the disc golf city. I don't know, but me- right. Mecca, you know, if, by the, by the if, definition, it right. kind of fits. So but I would Mecca, call it, Mecca to it's, me it's, feels epic. Right. No. It feels Oh, okay. like so I let's me. just say I'll but, say a to a disc golf mecca. Sure, sure. It's, it's like a disc golf destination. Maybe not the disc golf 100%. mecca, but it's a yes. disc golf mecca. Yeah, it's for sure a disc golf destination. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to also think think of this, Eric. Like we all have been there, you know, for several years and a bunch so of tournaments. It's and lost stuff. its allure for us for sure. Yeah, the 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 shine of it isn't as prominent. Once you've been there, like the first time I went to Emporia, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so sick. And to be fair, I was sponsored by DD and, you know, I was I was stoked to be there. But um, Mm -hmm. I do think that the concentration of courses and I think courses that everyone but the touring disc golfer would say are like pretty awesome courses. Yeah, for sure. They're great. So so I think general public. Yeah, for the general public, I would still argue it's one of the best places to play. Um, oh, I think yeah. as I far as like, yeah. yeah, of course. But then as far as like, yeah, uh, places with a lot of variety and um, and kind of like fabled disc golf courses. Hello, son. Mm-hmm. Um, would <laughs> be like, Hello, little one. It would be like Charlotte is has got to be up there. And then uh, Twin Cities definitely has to be up there. And yeah. honestly, hey, uh, Des Moines, Iowa has to be up there. Yeah, it's, I'll, Des Moines I'll give you that. is sick. They've got some yeah. really awesome courses. Owens yeah. just learned to open doors on his own. Oh, so he just pushes his way in, and he came in holding some, his dude. pickleball paddle. Oh, nice, dude. So, he's uh, pretty tight. <laughs> starting him young. Starting him young. Pretty tight. Nice. Love it. So, yeah. cool. that was anyway, small, sorry for the small tangent. Yeah. No, it's no big no, deal. You're good. Um, uh, I still will. Uh, have it there. You can stay at the Airbnb. Last little plug. Yes, please uh, go to the disc golf. One a of the disc golf. There you go. A, a disc, disc golf, golf mecca. mecca. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see. Uh, so that's it. Yeah. So great weekends all around for all of us. You guys want to talk about the Pokemocha? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The Polecat World Championships. Yeah. What did you call uh, the Pokemocha? So- yeah, that's what they've been calling it. Pokemocha. <laughs> yeah, cool. it's great. So. Great little concept. I I definitely will play again next year. I used a DX Polecat, and I think I would have probably, after watching other people throw the Halo Polecat, I might have might have fared on a couple holes uh, a little yeah, better just because of this added stability. But I had I had two bad breaks where I threw a shot at a left gap, baby hyzer, and it peeled up and drifted right. And then drifted about 120 feet across the fairway all the way and then caught the down slope of something and scooted out of bounds, like barely out of bounds. And I was just like, man, okay. Like I like tried to play the safer route because like there was a, there was a route to go like on a hyzer, but this would have been tough, whatever. Got my pogey, no big deal. And then my, I missed two putts inside the circle, but both were 20 to 25 footers to an elevated basket and both of those were headwinds and if you haven't put a polecat into a headwind 
is not where you want to be. And <laughs> so I missed those and I was like, ah, that sucks. But I, I got plenty. I got a couple birdies. Uh, I played really clean. I threw some really cool shots. I played with some uh, one local and a bunch of uh, just, you know, randoms. I didn't end up playing with a bunch of pros or anything. And I had an absolute blast. And it was it's a free event. You know, they had stuff for sale, sale to, to help, you know, promote the Polecat World Championships. And it's really cool. And I, you know, I think it's going to run for the next two days. So people will go out and try and, and beat the scores that people put up. So it's, it's really good. I think somebody's pushing close to like four or five down, which is rad. And I put up an even par and I, I felt, I felt good. Also having not played like an actual scored round in a while, like it was like kind of nice <laughs> right. to like, all right, like really like be in the moment, think about the shot, execute the shot. And I hit a lot of really good lines. So, um, it was very fun. Um, uh, that's awesome. Harper, Harper, Alexander, let me make sure I get his name right. Harper Alexander is the guy who's running it. Um, uh, awesome, really cool concept. I love to see that Innova's super behind it to help promote and help make things happen. It's we need more stuff like this in disc golf. And I actually yeah, had just funny fun joke. stuff. Yes, fun, enjoyable, cool things to talk about. The Halo Polecat didn't need to be a disc, but it became a disc because it started out as a meme. People joked about it. You saw PDJ Rodman and uh, and on other pages just talking about it, and it it made it just it was such a no brainer for Innova to to bring that to the public, and it ends up being a really fun thing that people can get behind. And I had this conversation, I had this talk with the card. It's like it's funny because I think the Polecat gang and the Berg gang are two people who like, you know, like, Oh, I, I don't throw the pole cap because I'm bird guy or like, or that vice versa. It was like, no, you guys are right. two entities that need to be one because you guys could take over the disc golf world because of the level of <laughs> the level of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like memory, not memory, but like the, how diehard they are for the yeah. disc, like yeah. that, level of loyalty there it is that level of loyalty is is absurd like if you there are there are subreddits just for the polecat gang and bird gang there it is there are facebook pages Wonderful. like this please please take over disc golf because what you what those two groups are doing is way better than anything else anybody else is doing it's just like it's positive it's fun it's pretty stupid most of the time but it's like but in the, in that light of everything's just so awesome and like I I I that's, eat I eat that's it up, really so. cool huge fan it was fun and I, I whoever wins I I would I would put that on everything I possibly could so I will try and win it next year we'll be back hmm, that's pretty cool pretty cool stuff all right so we don't have a lot of questions so we'll take a long time to answer the questions that we have I saw the title. What was What's time? up with this? Oh yeah, that's that's the first question. We'll jump into that one. Nice. Uh, let's see. We let's see if I got any more Facebook one. And then right before we jump into the questions, just a reminder, guys, if you want to have official disc golf answer man discs, go to doordisc.com. And it looks like he has some harps, verdict, keystone, and wardens left. So nice. and it's got the All official right. disc golf answer man stamp on there. So head over to doordisc.com. D O R D I S C. Let's see. All right. Yeah, we got a couple questions. Oops, no, that's not where I wanted to Walter. go. Walter. Yeah, what's Walter <laughs> yeah. up to? Get oh, him. Owen keeps on opening the door. 
Get him, Walter. <laughs> Whatever, man. Get in there. Let's do it. All right. We'll go to the questions on Facebook, and then we'll jump over to the other one on rating. Okay. Uh, let's see. Did anyone send Eric Lime since he already had some Corona? <laughs> Hateful. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want Lime. I, I check for ticks every time I get done playing a course, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to avoid avoid that <laughs> of course that's from funny, our man. friend chaser ek oh chaser said he nice, put a nice, speak nice, pipe nice. in i'll have to grab that i'll grab Sweet it as we answer God. this one from frank eric if you know if you know that you can compete for a high place uh finish in an event but your score but you score way lower than you should or could is having fun then more important at the end of the day knowing that your mental game needs to improve to compete or should you be somewhat mad at yourself for not getting in the mix of a good result? So one, if you know you're supposed to play well, but then you don't, it's, it's now an opportunity to learn. And I think that's something that you have to recognize uh, in the moment and you have to try and learn and, and take as much as you can from that round, because it's obviously not going to be a, you know, oh, it's going to be the sick finish for really good ratings or a lot of money or anything like that. But that learning process can be really important for the upcoming events. You never know when that lesson you learn in that mediocre round or mediocre tournament is going to come and help you when you're in contention for an event. So I think that that's something to, to keep in mind is like, Every opportunity is a chance to learn. Obviously, you want to do well at certain events, but sometimes it's just not in the cards, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be, you have to be able to separate yourself from that. Say, this is not my weekend; it's going to be someone else's. I need to just take what I can and be better. And I think that that's, um, yeah, I think that's the best way to look at it is just try and always learn. Be a sponge, always, and absorb all of the things that are going on to look to um, to look to be better if you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard people before say there are only two outcomes when you compete winning or learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's good, but also there, there are a lot of things to be learned when you win as well. You, mm -hmm. Have you ever played a perfect round? Have you ever made every perfect decision, even if the shot wasn't executed? Yes. Perfectly. Yeah. No. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Bobby has. Um, but everybody Bobby's else, though, I mean, he, Bobby they haven't Berg's done 500. So, I mean, that's fair. Think about it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's a lot to learn regardless of the outcome of the round. There's always Great. something to learn. Mm -hmm. um, Bobby, I have a couple of questions from the chat as well. Go for whatever. It. Yeah. So. Uh, you, let's you see. Want, you want uh, go for it? Yeah, let's go do a couple from the chat to go for it. Okay. One of the first ones earlier, he said, uh, from an amateur ratings outlook, which is worse, an 888 or a DQ? Is the answer any different for a pro? Um, okay. So if you're familiar, if you are unfamiliar with what 888 means, that is um, a round designation assigned to you if you are known to be intentionally throwing your rating during a round. So like I've, I've had this happen on a card before where a guy, you know, he was almost a uh, thousand rated or he was getting up there 
was having a terrible round and he was like, I just don't want this to count on my rating and I'm not going to cash anyway. So we got to this little short hole and he took like a 30 on it. I mean, just footed short, just like dropped one foot in front, one foot in front, one foot in front until we got to the basket. And it was rated like 600 something. And so it didn't count. This was before this rule. That is what the 888 rule is attempting to avoid. Um, once again, if you're unfamiliar with ratings, if a, if a round rating is more than two and a half standard deviations below your uh, below your rating, then it would be dropped. Right. And every time. Sorry, my camera's doing for some funky things right now. I don't know why. Every time um, <clears throat> every time you play around, it factors into your rating. However far that round rating is from your actual rating changes your standard deviation. So there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. But if you play bad enough, you can have that round be dropped. I have benefited from this many times, not many times, like three or four or five rounds in my career that were just absolutely the worst I could ever play. And they got dropped and it was awesome. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm in this, I'm in the, position though that they should count if we're going to do this rating system it shouldn't there should oh, all your rounds should count me too me too and, and that's so even if you tank it goes against yeah, the rating I'm, and i yeah i don't I, I i don't this is uh where my common phrase of welcome to disc golf where the ratings are made up and the pars don't matter and it's it's that alone that we have this standard deviation is constantly changing and it's different for everybody. It's like, this is, we're just getting, it's too nuanced. It's, and there right. are like three people in the world that fully understand the rating system. So uh, again, stupid. So continue. Yeah. Sorry. Look, 100% from me. I think that they should count. I have benefited from them not counting. Same. And I was Absolutely. happy at I that time, but, it, but this wasn't on a, I'll say this 100% certainty. I've never thrown around. Ever, no, especially not for especially not for a rating. Like I, I came out to compete, and even if I'm playing awful, I'm still going to try and compete until the last putt drops in the basket. I've, I've thrown weak rounds where I'm trying to just ace everything because it's like a big ace spot. That's not <laughs> right. the same. Totally. Like, like, it's a little bit different situation. So yeah. so anyway, an eight 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 is what's applied to your rating if you intentionally throw around for rating or if you don't give proper notice to the TD before the start of a rated round that you're not going to be there. Okay. If you have an 888 on your rating, then you lose five points, five rating points for the next six months of your rating. So if I'm 980 rated and I go and throw around, then I'm 975 rated regardless of any updates after that. But I, I'm automatically five points less than I actually am for the next six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's what an 888 is. DQ is different. Um, it doesn't count against your rating, but every DQ carries the potential of disciplinary action, yeah. right? So suspension, probation, everything like that. It's less of a rating uh, hit and more of a, hey, you just might not be able to play in the PDGA hit. So mm -hmm. no different for amateurs or pros. Um, All the same. Those are those are both. Yeah. 888 is the same whether you're an amateur or pro. Same same goes for DQs. Um, but one is kind of, I don't know, kind of an unsportsman way to do something, like to throw around to save your rating. The other is intentionally breaking rules, drinking on the course, stuff like that. So 
that's that's what the difference about those is. That's a good question. There you go. Good question. Um, I have two more quick ones, if that's okay. Yeah, which one are you going to do? Question for Eric Oakley, though. Are you Hello. ready for this question, Eric? I am ready. Okay. Uh, so I'm playing an A tier at Smuggler's Notch, Brewster, and Fox Run. Sick. Is there anything that sticks out from those courses that always seems to harm every single player there? Uh, It is very common on Fox Run to play overly aggressive. Uh, I remember, you know, Fox Run was actually one of the first courses I ended up playing like a really, really good round on. As like as mm-hmm. a touring player, it was like you know in the ten thirties, and I you know at that point was definitely in the higher rated rounds I've shot. I shot in thousands, but not that high yet. And uh, maybe it was higher. I don't recall. Either way, played really like, good. I think it was in the ten fifties, Eric. Yours, yeah. yours okay. at Fox Run. Yeah. So the but why it was so e why I did that was I played the course to my strengths, not. Um, not to uh, what was possible to be done on the course, I guess is the point. It's like, yeah, you can go out and shoot 18 down at Fox Run. It's doable. It's there. Any, like, it's just, you have to throw really good shots. But what I was doing was laying up on certain holes. I put the disc in the fairway every single time and didn't really have many OB strokes and played very, very good. So that's the one thing that happens at Fox Run is people just, they just try too much and find trouble. Right. If you put it in between uh, the the sticks, if you will, um, then you're going to be just fine. And that's how Foxtron plays. Brewster's a different beast because it the the some of the holes that have OB in the woods and it's just some tight wooded golf. Like you just need to be hitting your gaps, and so. Don't think about power. Don't think about anything else. Be clean and hit your lines on on Brewster, and you can play it really well. Be ready to make a lot of circle two putts because a lot of the greens are difficult to 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 access, and you can throw a really good shot, catch a tree or a root or something, and and ha- still have a thirty five to forty five footer left to make. So that those are the things that really help rounds on Brewster shift from being okay to great is cool. I made three or four circle two putts and, or I only had to make two circle two putts because every putt got close and I was able to capitalize on them. So that's, that's how those two stand out. And there are a couple holes on Brewster that do not mess with them. Don't mess with it. Once you're off the fairway, take whatever you're going to get, swallow a bogey, don't let it turn into a double or more because that's that's usually what what I, I has happened and what I've seen happen to players is that they still think birdie is in play. They go for it. Now they're taking a bogey or worse, and that's fine if they would have. But it probably would have served their mental game better had they played for a, a 50 footer for par instead of trying to still try and get a birdie and a 50 footer for par is still a chance to save par. So uh, and likely a bogey but it's you know you're you're not stressing too much about a tap in for bogey as you would be a, a 25 footer for bogey because you've had to now get really like you've had to scramble for it so those are things that i would uh, definitely think about 
when playing uh, in Vermont on those courses. Good stuff. Very oh. well thought out answer, Eric. Thank you so much. Hey, you're very welcome. <laughs> all right, what did we want to do? A lot. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. I think about it all the time. <laughs> so, was Racing Daddy one of the other ones you had, uh, Robert? Or yeah, yeah, so yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. One. So the last one was being. He said being right at the MA three MA two cutoff. Would you recommend playing up or playing where eligible? Hot topic. I know, but I did win my first B tier in MA three a few weeks ago. Um, racing, I'm, I'm always in favor of playing the division that your rating allows you to, if that's where you want to play. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you have already won an MA3 tournament and you would like to play another one, your rating allows you to do that. Absolutely do that. Um, if you want to improve and you're close to that cutoff, I would recommend playing up and watching people who are better than you and playing people who are better than you, at least right now, and seeing what they're doing differently than you're currently doing. Because there, there are some things in MA3 that you'll get away with that you won't in MA2. Same goes for MA2 to MA1. Same goes for MA1 to open. Um, the more that you play with better players, the better you're going to get. And I think there is absolutely something to be said for having the experience of playing a higher a higher level of tournament before you feel like you should be ready to compete at that level of tournament like i think i think there's something to making a lead card on ma2 you're probably not going to play great when you make that lead card but for the next time you make it you're going to be more comfortable because you've been there and then the next time you make it maybe you get the win or something like that so if you want to grow as a player I would recommend to play MA2. If you want to practice uh, winning and being in those lead card situations and you, you have a pretty good feeling that you could do that, you're fine to play MA3. I don't, I don't think there's anyone who would argue against that. Mm -hmm. But if it's me, I'm playing up. I moved, I played, I started playing advanced. I played five or six advanced tournaments and then just went to open, knowing that I would get smoked. And I did for a while. Um, but then I improved quickly and that was it. Yeah. I'm, I don't have much to say on that. And I think you hit it on the nose. I just, cause I, I went such a different path, you know, and it's right. I don't think that it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's different for everybody. My, my concept is like, there's two, the, the two schools of thoughts are do what you're doing, exactly what you're doing right now. What's his name? Reason. Reason. Uh, Reason daddy. Yeah. Uh, what do exactly what you're doing. It's totally fine. Move up when you feel confident. I, for one, just went straight to open, but I had, I also asked people what I should do. And the common consensus was open was the best place for me, even though I probably would have played well and won some tournaments in AM. But I, I think I accelerated certain aspects of my game by playing in open. I, had to learn how to win an open, which was really hard and really tough. And if you go watch the first time I made lead card at a big event was at DDO. I did not follow it up with a great round, even though it was in terrible conditions. But I, I that later propelled me to win a tournament later that year because I made that right. really big experience. So it's there's a lot. Steli. Yeah, Steli Coom. I'm actually going back uh, for the first time uh next week Sick. yeah yeah it's gonna be sweet 
I I haven't thought about it, but it's like, I'm really excited. I think they lost part of the course, so that part sucks, so I won't be able to play some of the holes that I played, but I think the wooded track we played twice that when I won it is still there, but the some of the open holes are now gone. Hmm. All right, yeah. uh, I'm going to jump down to another question we got on the YouTube chat from Mike, and this one is, while when putting, is there an advantage to hitting chains at a hyzer angle, such as with Paul Macbeth, versus hitting the chains at a flat angle? I don't know. I, I saw this question, and I honestly don't know how to answer it because I have seen... I mean, I would say the tendency on a hyzer putt, you have a chance if you catch, if you're not on the pole, to maybe get vertical and cut through. But I've also seen flat putts do the same thing. So it's like chains and different baskets are so weird and until we have a standardization of baskets across the board and um and we agree on what we want that to be as a as a disc golf community i don't think either is better than the other as long as it's going in and it's consistent i mean look at greg barsby he's a world champion and he has a very steep hyzer putt at times. You know, Matt Matt Bell has as uh you know has a kind of a hyzery putt too. And you know, I know Noah Mainsma putts on a lot of hyzer. There are people who do it. There are people who put on Anheuser and and make it work. So I think there's a level of finding what works for you. The technology of the baskets may favor one over the other at times, but I don't think it's a big enough factor to say one is out and out better than the other. Yeah. Uh, just, just to add on to the very end of that, <clears throat> I think you're exactly right, Eric. I think baskets probably favor a flatter putt in general. Mm-hmm. However, if you have an ingrained hyzer putt, if that's how you always put, I think that you lose more strokes from trying to flatten your putt out and mess with your release than you do from putts cutting through. Yep. Take it from someone who puts on a hyzer and who has tried to flatten their putt out. I have missed way more putts trying to get like a perfectly flat or even just like the most subtle hyzer angle rather than just sticking with like the 20 degree hyzer that I have. 25 degree, whatever it is on the pole type of thing. And yeah. And just making that consistent every time. Like that's, that's what feels normal to me. That's what Mm -hmm. feels right. I get cut throughs just like everybody, but I don't think it's more so than if I like, I don't get more cut throughs than I miss if I try to flatten that putt out. And a flat putt sometimes can have better has a, maybe has a better chance to spit out because it's hitting more chains and it's so it's getting a lot slower and maybe it's making and more is hitting onto the pole. Like there, there are a lot of factors that can happen. Like, um, I, I think the other part is, uh, that I've learned when I've gone back and played on like Mach threes and Mach fives, it's just like, yeah, you know, it's probably going to spit it out, but don't put it any different just because it might do that put it the same way you would yeah. on any basket make sure that stroke feels the same because you would feel better about not limping one in or limping one and not making it than putting it in the heart and then it just coming back out 
Like that, that feels, that feels fine where you don't even give it a chance feels way worse. So I think oh, that's yeah. uh, definitely something to, to keep in mind. Yeah. The look back at the uh, Kansas city wide open from a few years ago, two of the rounds were played on mock threes and I was terrified of getting spit out. And I shot like back to back to back nine nineties to get like 15th place. And I did not throw the disc that bad. Yeah. Right. It was because I was terrified of spit outs. And so I hit a bunch of cages and tried to flatten them out. Like, yeah, I know from experience, just, just hit the basket. If it's going to spit out. Yeah. Yeah. If it's going to spit out, make it spit out, like hit your putt in the basket. And if it spits, you can be like, well, that sucks. Ganon Burr is a prime example. And look at, mm. look at what happens when uh, he doesn't have as many spits as his putt is very, it's popped in there. And there are people who say his putt isn't good, but I've played plenty of rounds with him and his putt is incredible. I watched uh, mm. WR Jackson. He would have been, I think it was like eight, he would have been eight through eight or nine through nine or something like that. But he had a, a 45 footer spit straight out at him. So it's not that, oh, he just puts too hard. No, it's his putt hits very clean on the pole a lot of the time. So sometimes it's just going to pop out and yeah, yeah, there are times where he hits it hard, but I mean, I, I that his putt stays in more than it pops out and him being frustrated oh, that yeah. it pops out is totally justified. And every person who goes into the chats and comment sections that says, Oh, he hit, oh, he hit like three links too high. Like, shut up. No, doesn't matter. <laughs> He's hitting the basket on the pole. He's doing what he's practiced in the moment in a pressure situation. I don't care that he hit a little bit too high. The basket didn't do its job at that point. And you can say it's too hard. It's too anything. But I guarantee if he goes back and throws that same putt, he gets a different result and it's in his favor. So stop being a keyboard warrior and understand that our baskets need to change. And just because your local course has the same baskets and you don't have any problems on it, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything because we should always be looking to elevate the standards that we have in disc golf and baskets are one of those things. For sure. That's going to be, that's, that's like a super uphill battle changing the standards of, I mean, that's oh my a topic gosh. forever, yeah. and I just can't imagine. But it's a, it, you, 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 you have to, you have to do the trickle down effect. You have to do it at the pro level events, um, and if any event wants to now be at a high pro level, they will elevate their basket standards. Where I gotta imagine that, that topic like, comes up though, like at board meetings and stuff like that for Disco oh, yeah. Pro Tour. I just gotta imagine that's coming up. It's on it's the table. Such, yeah, but it's such yeah. a um, monumental thing to put into place to. I mean, when you're just trying hard enough to find great venues to have, you know, as the sport grows, and then you're going to ask, you know, you've got hundreds of volunteers that don't get paid to do this. And then you're going to ask them to spend more money on having, oh yeah, by the way, we have a new standard of basket that's different than what you have on your course. So, but no, but I agree with you. I think, uh, and I do like the idea of, I, I'm seeing it, I've seen it different and this is kind of a, a, a kind of a different tangent, but along with the lines of, and you guys have talked about, I've seen other pros where the rules and certain standards and certain things are different at the disc golf pro tour level where they actually have their own set of guides and rules to follow that are very different than mm-hmm. what the PDJ puts out for everybody. That'll be interesting when that happens. That's got to happen eventually, yeah. right? To where. For sure. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. 
So yeah. interesting. I, I, when I hear you say elevating disc golf, I hear you're advocating for more elevated baskets. Yes. I mean, is that, <laughs> is that, that correct? Did uh, I hear that dude, correct? Salt, salt in the wound. I missed two elevated putts. Got today. him. Get out of here. Got God. him. No, so, I, I, I am for a good mixture though. I do actually like when people talk about the elevated yeah. baskets, it's good. It, it is a good thing. It yeah. should be, but it I don't should, want to it see nine. Be, it should be three at most. I yeah. think two is great number. Three at most feels feels fine. Once we get once you're pushing into four or five, it's just like ah, it's like we just did this, and that's not. And if the course design doesn't allow for uh, things to be really good, then elevating a couple baskets does help. But then also fix the course design, change the holes, change the des- and that's yeah. that's where when we get to more private venues like Bobby's talking about, it's like well, you got to elevate your baskets too. It's like once we get to that, I think that'll be. Um, uh, another factor in this, this whole line of thinking is that courses will be better to where you don't need to elevate baskets because the hole is already difficult enough. Yeah. So, yeah. So back to Mike's question, um, coming from someone who always misses their putts, it doesn't matter what you do. You're just, they're going to miss your putts. So don't change a thing. Uh, okay let's go to uh chaser's question on speak pipe let me see i think i remembered we may have to make one more change if this doesn't work let me know if you hear this what's up gigam fam this is shay from philly with a question for you about live scoring i'm curious do you think the pros should have access to the scoreboard um basically we had an event here where the chase car was doing really well it was a really tight race at the top and or after hole 15 the live scores stopped populating just for you know whatever reason their card wasn't showing up after hole 15 and like the lead card was freaking out. You know what's happening. The one guy even accused the scorekeeper who was doing well of putting his fo- uh, phone into airplane mode. So it wouldn't broadcast uh, the scores, which I found hilarious. I mean, even before we had live scoring, I remember cases, you know, where people, you know, rumors would just fly across the course. Oh, you know, so-and-so is on heat on a heater. Uh, oh man, the leader, one OB twice on hole 16. And I remember cases where those rumors were false. You know, they thought the guy was on a heater and they had just missed that. He had, you know, shanked his drive into the fairway and chipped out and thought his third shot was really his second. So I'm just curious, do you think it should be you know, accessible to players? Cause it can affect their game and there can be technological problems. I mean, I think it was USDGC mm-hmm. where Macbeth uh, was actually within one of Burr and there was some kind of score error uh, and that may have affected his play if that wasn't corrected quickly, and he might have actually you know laid up his putt on seventeen. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. If that should be something the pros should be able to see, uh, let me know what you guys think. And as always, keep it real. What do you guys think? Uh, I, I always try and look towards other sports as uh, as guidance, and um, look at soccer as an example of if you're coming down the stretch of a season and you need a certain result and a team plays before you, so you play an afternoon game and they have a morning game, are you not allowed to see the results to know how you should, you need to get a point to to stay above them or do you need to get three points to stay above them? Uh, Also that happens uh, in real time. Uh, Look at uh, uh, Manchester city's, you know, infamous, uh, uh, Premier League win when Sergio Aguero scores in the last second. Like obviously they were trying to win that game no matter what, but it was to the point where they didn't know 
they, like if Manchester United would have drawn and all they needed was a draw, but Manchester United had won and they were sitting there tied and a tie loses them the title. So they knew they needed to push. They knew they, they needed to put more numbers forward and they needed to fi- find a way and they did. So that, that information is passed on from the bench. That is that that's all there. Um, I would imagine uh, golf, their caddies are at least tuned in to something that's going on, or it's it might be pretty commonplace to see the scores. So I think it's a good thing because it's allowing professionals to to be really good, like and 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 play the game as they should. the The last thing you'd want to see happen is somebody not knowing the scores, knowing that they should lay up, and and then they run a putt that costs them the tournament, like because but they all they had to do was just pitch and i think that would be worse so i i would lean in the direction that i think it is a good thing now technological technological errors are whatever uh, the the homie you're talking about who was who's calling foul he should have played better it, and it wouldn't have been an issue he should have got on a heater and played well and he would have won the tournament outright not not because of what somebody did on chase card and then the fact that they didn't keep up with live scoring to try and get in somebody's head it's like let, let's stop the 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 deflecting you didn't play well enough you didn't deserve to win it is you versus the course at the end of the day and sometimes you versus the course means laying up for the win so yep. that's my thoughts i think back to uh when afc richmond uh was trying to get to regulation and they had the no <laughs> Oh, uh, dude. Hey, listen, I'll <laughs> fight Con- anybody Robert- that says that's not one of the best shows on television. <laughs> Robert Conner. I love Ted Lasso. <laughs> uh, it's good. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I think keep up with the scores if you want to. Don't if you don't want to. But to ask everyone not to keep up with them is a little silly. So mm-hmm. yeah, and look at them if you want. Yeah. Like I don't I tend to not look at my own score. I can easily figure it out if I just think about right. it. But I don't. I, I, it's not going to change how I play. Like I, I, there are certain times where you should look, but you don't need yeah. to. Like you don't. Uh, you shouldn't be checking scores every time and always looking because then, then you're too focused on the result rather than the task at hand and throwing the next shot right. good and being good in the next opportunity you have. Like just be good. Sometimes, sometimes your best round is not going to be very good. And, but you still need to go play as good as you possibly can, because yep. if you go and try and play better, you might play way worse. So you have to, you have to think about those things and don't get in your head that, yep. oh, this sucks. I'm not going to be so bad. It's like, no, just play. Today might not be your day. Tomorrow might be. Yep. Or the next tournament you play, you might absolutely shred. So. Just yeah, like I in life. To, uh, oh, oh, sorry. I was going to get a philosophical. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be quick. I, I listened to uh, Brody Smith and I think it was Trevor talking about, uh, no, maybe it was Hunter. I don't remember. Talking about his finish at DDO and Brody's mental game. If you guys haven't listened to that already, I think he's made massive strides in his mental game. I, I, I didn't know anything about it before, but just the way that he talks about processing through a round, accepting mistakes what he thinks about when looking at scores and stuff. It's, it's worth a listen. Um, yeah. And he, he talks about looking at scores as well. Um, I thought it was a really refreshing take that um, he is, he's pretty, 
he in the past has been prone to complaining about like bad breaks or courses or whatever. And he's like, dude, if you catch me complaining, call, call me out on it. You know, everybody has to play the same course. Everybody has to play the same conditions. And, um, you know, we hear different counterpoints to that a lot from, from pros and amateurs alike. But, um, I just thought it was a refreshing take. It was interesting to hear him talk about it. And I think, uh, um, with that kind of mentality that, that kind of player is tough to stop if they, if they're just not going to allow themselves to be affected by a lot of stuff. Like that's, that's pretty tough, man. You, you end up in a situation where you're, nothing's dragging you don't you've you've created less drag i guess would be in like a in, yeah. in that situation nothing's yeah, nothing's holding you back uh, it and you know to to a standpoint of maybe it was easier for him to not complain as much at ddo because he didn't the the breaks weren't bad but he did he catch some well bad breaks. he did play well so it's easier to to not complain um and you know i i had somebody pop into our morning coffee and just like complain and he, he he dropped the you get to play disc golf for a living like think about that like you have it so lucky it's like dude okay come on like let's like let's not go into this no. um <laughs> but uh but it was that same situation we were talking about all right the wind was insane was it too much maybe and that's why we have this conversation because i do think that there's a level of uh when when it become when the result becomes completely out of our control is when we're now leaning away from what we've practiced and what we what is actually good for disc golf because straight up if if i feel like i'm a, a very good player and i'm throwing the disc really well the results should reflect that i i genuinely think they should and that's what we saw at uh, uh champions cup with wr jackson is you felt like you were incomplete control from start to finish of mm. the tournament at ddo it was you threw the disc and it was a roll of the dice many times uh, in that kind of wind so you felt now what happens is now less in my control in that that starts to in certain ways harm the competition and and mm. you know now uh, okay, I'm getting on on tangents, but just to, just to put that, it's like that starts to harm the results. It starts to harm the tournament itself, and it starts to harm the play because you want the best players who are throwing the disc the best to be at the top, right? Not letting the the conditions be like, oh well, you know, they didn't have as many uh, bad wind gusts and or their shots didn't blow out of bounds. They just happened to stay in bounds, and that is the difference maker. That becomes a very yep. fine line. And that's, and again, this is not to take away from Brody, Logan, or anybody who was a more of the outliers who played well, because they did play disc golf incredibly well at the dynamic disc open. Nobody can take that away from them. But there were a lot of other players that we didn't see even play the final day that I would say that they didn't go out and throw the disc like crap the whole weekend. That there were just mm-hmm. things that just were like just uh, completely out of their hands. So that, yeah, shifting the conversation to be less complainy, but actually try and make a resolution of we need to uh, elevate our game to be um, understanding that conditions shouldn't be the only factor. They should be a 
a portion of it. It's not the only thing that matters. All right. Our last question for this episode comes from Isaac. Why do pros and journalists use outliers like Fountain Hills or the random guy rated 1045 from one tournament to discredit the ratings? There is no other area where area where you let the outlier define the usefulness of something. Eric saying it's useless because anyone can win any weekend is a rather poor argument. If ratings weren't were meant to determine who is going to win this week, they wouldn't even play and just hand out trophies. Ratings are meant to see how a player has performed over the course of 12 months on average, and that is a useful statistic. Nobody thinks that the random guy at 1045 is top 10 in the world because we use ratings because we use ratings as a I think he's missed as a part of the puzzle, not the whole thing. That is, this is why the highest rated player doesn't also win player of the year. It's a, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty solid argument and a, a pretty good point. Um, I guess the point is, is that, you know, maybe you need to play for 12 months before you get a rating. So that 1045 is not an outlier because guess what? That person is now ranked or you know, on the PDGA page and is one of the top people you see when you look at, uh, when you search players' names, which is important. And uh, I think it discredits everyone else who is 1045 rated, even though he is an outlier. Uh, we use Fountain Hills as an example because it is predominantly producing higher ratings and the course is not harder. Is not the, it is not harder than W.R. Jackson. It just isn't. W.R. Jackson is a way more demanding course just because there's OB at Fountain Hills and it's just predominantly rated higher. It, it's, it's now like shifted itself into this place where it's this echelon where it's like, if you want good ratings, go play, go play the Memorial. Like it's like kind of a, kind of a meme on tour now. And, and that shouldn't be the case. And it, it's like, what is the only thing that's challenging you at Fountain Hills? It's the OB. That's it. But, you know, Jackson has OB and lines and elevation and uh, uh, plenty other factors. Like it, so those, those things should have more weight in the ratings, in my opinion, as, as why we have an issue with, with the ratings is uh, some courses rate better than others. And we've seen players shoot incredible rounds and then we are surprised by the ratings. And like, we know what a, we know when somebody has just absolutely tore it up and we want to see if we're going to, if we're going to have this rating system, we want to see 1100. We want to see that because we feel the, we feel one, the player who does it deserves it and because it is an accolade. Not many people have shot 1100 rated rounds and, and two it's, it's to that same standpoint of it. it, it people feel robbed of it. And why I want to move away from the rating system as a touring professional standard is like it just it can be a part of your PDGA number and it's a stat, but it needs to stop being like, oh, this player 10 something rated, blah, blah, blah. Like it becomes so much of your identity of of that rating. And I would much rather it be, all right, cool. This person is ranked this. So uh, especially on the touring level. I think I think ratings are fantastic for AMs and and for local pros, 
Because at least you can compare where you stand in theory uh, to the touring professionals by looking at those numbers. But I would much rather my ranking, even if it's in the 40s or 50s right now, because I have I, I had a bad season last season. And I haven't played much this season because of certain reasons. I would rather it be Eric Oakley, number 50, instead of 1017. Because there are local guys that will, that could come out and they're 10, 15, 10, 17 rated that I, I might in, in the, like if we go and play a pro tour event, they might not cash, but I might be in the top 20, but by the ratings, we're supposed to be a very similar player, but we're not. And I think that that's the issue with the ratings is that it says these players should shoot similar scores all the time, but there's just a difference of being on tour and playing and understanding how to play touring golf. And it's just the the, the rating system isn't good. It's adequate at best. I think that's, uh, that's where I'll stand on that because I just don't think it's good. What do you think, Robert? Agree or disagree? Um, I don't, man, I don't care that much about ratings, especially we don't care about the you. last time oh. I did was <laughs> no, <laughs> the last, the last time I didn't care about ratings was for a bet, which I won. I don't know if you guys got him. Uh, smoked Bobby real hard, wrecked um, but Bobby. Uh, um, the, the problem with ratings is that they are specific to this group of people playing this course on this day. Right. It's not uh, it's not for a specific course. It's based on who is there that day. And so um, it's just always going to be an imperfect system. It's not quite fully arbitrary, like it's not entirely meaningless, but it is flawed. Um, and at, at the pro level, I think that it's it's less relevant. Yeah, I would love to see world rankings at the pro level just be the um kind of the only thing that we see for those guys but it also doesn't bother me that much um the thing that bothers me the most is when i see somebody like Macbeth put down a what did he play what did he put down a jackson 16 17 16 16 yeah and for that to be rated like 30 something points lower than his memorial memorial round like the memorial round sick like that's awesome but he played better golf than every yeah, like it's inc- it, it, yes, no, but I mean, have you w- awesome. watching the video of his memorial round? Was Heiser putt, Heiser putt, Heiser. That's what I'm putt. saying. Is it's, it's like, like, yeah, uh, like I get what this I get what this question is saying is that this is judged on an outlier, but the problem is that outlier weighs just like any other round on tour, mm-hmm. yeah, and that that's a problem, right? So that that's why I think they're a little silly. Um, you know, that 16 at Jackson is way better than the Fountain Hills one. The 18 at Toboggan is way better. Even the 18 at Waco is way better than the 17 at um, Memorial. So all that to say, they're just a little too arbitrary for for my liking, um, especially at the pro level. They're not great at the AM level either, but at least they give you some reflection of where you can kind of be in the... uh, uh, in the divisions, and that's fine. But I don't really care that much about him. People that get wound up about him. Um, uh, he did mention like I, it doesn't matter. Like the rating system doesn't. If we if we talked about it as like oh it doesn't you would just hand out the trophies at the end. But it's like it's 
it's an understanding that anybody can win at the weekend. And that's why the ratings, a, a ranking system is better because you see it often in tennis when uh, a lower seed, uh, a lower ranked player yeah, makes call a it run. An upset. It, it's, it's big. And that, I think that that has a little bit more weight. Like I would, um, you know, I'd rather see an unranked touring professional come in and have an amazing round. But if it, what it shows as well, if you have a good world ranking, it shows that you're you're one of the people out there grinding. You're you're you've earned enough of uh, the rounds and been on tour to be in this world ranking system, which shows that those are the the people that have put it in and put the effort in. And to say that my ten seventeen rating is the same as some you know local in Charlotte or local in Texas. That's also 1017 rated, but we didn't play against the same competition. And uh, mm. I, I understand how to play on the Pro Tour is different. And granted, that dude could come out shred and easily be ranked higher than me if he were to be able to put it in. Like that's that's a total possibility. But right, I would say next, put me next to another person who's 1017 rated that's not touring. I don't think we're the same golfer. I just why are you so salty about it though? Yeah. I'm not salty about it. I just, it's I'm something joking. I've been, I've had to think about it. You should. It's just, it is what it is. People will have their own thoughts and feelings about it. Uh, at, at, at our level, the ratings just don't, they're, they're not yeah. good enough. It is not yeah. good enough. And it shouldn't be I'll, this big I'll factor. Agree. Because another part is, is it's how we register for tournaments. Yeah, Blows my true. mind. It, it, it yeah. does have a lot of impact because I mean, I almost, you know, I had to, uh, I was on the, this podcast when I was signing up for the Champions Cup because that was one point, one point from a rating different uh, from being able to sign up earlier. And right. I might not have been, I might have not got into a major because of that one point. And it was, I'm 1019 yeah, rated. I was 1019 at the time. 1020 was the, the thing. So that, that's, that's a small factor. So it's like, we just need to move away from this and have a ranking system. And um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll agree good that, uh, are you, go ahead. I'll, I'll agree that a local 1015 guy and a touring 1015 guy are not the same player. No doubt about it. Yeah. Any, anyone who says they are is silly. Well, there you go, folks. That's it. That's what we got for you on this particular episode. I thought it was going to be a short episode. And this ended up being a pretty in-depth uh, We episode. went on some tangents. Yeah, well, we I went on some tangents. I'm sorry. I was going to say, <laughs> it's who about, is we? It's, <laughs> and it's about time you had some tangents, Eric, because you never have any tangents at all. I'll Ever. tell you why. If anything bothers me about Eric, it's how much he stays on the course. Right. <laughs> never has an opinion about anything. So I appreciate you voicing him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that you have opinions. Okay, guys. So, yes, as always, uh, keep sending those questions questions in discgolfanswerman.com. I believe I saw on the chats that we were six away from 1,000 subscribers. So five, what I've seen. Five now. So if we, once we hit that 1,000 subscriber, I'm going to pick a winner to have Eric send out a Dynamic Disc Combat Ranger brand spanking new disc golf bag sent out to a winner once we get 1,000 rated a thousand rated oh we lost we lost one actually oh, so yeah. we are six away we are back to six okay <laughs> <laughs> the ratings talk pissed that. someone off apparently so yeah um oh yeah, you called so. me out i'm a keyboard warrior they putt too hard <laughs> <laughs> he puts too hard thank you to all the patreon supporters Sorry. if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash dgam 
give your monthly support so we can have some tacos and pay some of the bills for the podcast. And if you're going out to Emporia, check out uh, my Airbnb. You can go to my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm plugging that. You can have now up to six oh, people stay. Uh, hey, can I stay there house. Uh, for Worlds? If you want to pay for free, you know what I did? (laughs) I did not block off that week to have. Oh, and it it got rented, put rented for the weekend to for people that are Uh, not have are not staying for disc golf. They're like, I can't. It's on you, Bobby. I know. Uh, It's on you. Made me so mad. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, check that out at uh, you can go to. airbnb.com slash something slash uncle bobby jr or something like that you can go to my instagram that's, that's, my, that's, that's a quality url <laughs> like that, my bio link and it'll be on there so all right gentlemen any parting words for this episode no stay awesome be healthy make good decisions all right. everybody see you guys bye